Hello and welcome to the Learn English Football Podcast. I'm your host Tom and with me is... Tim. Hi guys. Hi Tim, how are you? I'm very well, very well. And how about you? I'm very well, thanks Tim. So, today is Friday the 12th of November. It is the international break. We've had a lot of international games last night and all the results are predictable. So, on this week's show, we're going to focus more on much more controversial topic. The topic is vaccinations and specifically in the realm of football. Do you mean COVID vaccinations or vaccinations in general? Oh, good point. Yes, I mean COVID vaccinations, the vaccine against COVID-19. So uh, before we get onto this topic, though, I just want to talk about a couple of other bits of news. Did you see, Tim, that West Ham beat Liverpool on Sunday? I wonder why you want to talk about that. <laughs> yes, I did see it. It was a fantastic victory. Uh, West Ham found a way to cause a lot of problems for the Liverpool defence with their direct counter-attacking football. Um, and they were too much. Fornells had a great game. Mm -hmm. Antonio, although he didn't score, had another great game as well. Uh, West Ham looked really dangerous. Yes, I am delighted. We're currently in third place. And I'd just like to remind anyone that we have beaten Manchester City, Manchester United, Leicester City, Liverpool and I believe Tottenham Hotspur as well. We haven't played the mighty Arsenal yet though but watch out. Yes we'll be worried when we get there, we'll be worried when we get there. Yes I caught the game and the players you mentioned fantastic, Jared Bowen as well, they suit this counter-attacking style of football. The only downside is we got an injury, my favourite defender Angelo Ogbonna has torn his hamstring or ligaments. I, I, I forget which one, but anyway, it's a serious injury. I think we've lost him for the rest of the season. Yes, that's a big loss. But I think with the way David Moyes has got that defence working, I think he can uh, bring a new man in and uh, get him playing the same way. Mm -hmm. Let's hope so anyway. Kurt Zuma looked very strong for you as well at the back. I think he's made a big difference to your defence. We've still got three fantastic centre-backs in Zuma, in Issa Diop and in Craig Dawson. So hopefully between the three of them, uh, and sometimes Aaron Cresswell drops back into centre-back and has done fine for us as well. So I'm confident we'll, we'll cover uh, moving on to other news, I see that Steven Gerrard has left Glasgow Rangers and joined Aston Villa. Any thoughts? Yes, uh, he has. It's a big move for Steven Gerrard. He's back in the Premier League. He's a symbol of the Premier League, so I think a lot of people will be happy to have him back. But I think there are a lot of disappointed Glasgow Rangers fans north of the border in Scotland because... Glasgow Rangers and Celtic feel that they're big football clubs and I think it really hurts when they see one of their managers going from a league winning side to a team in the relegation or the lower part of the English Premier League. And remember it happened with Brendan Rodgers going to Leicester from Celtic after winning the league three years in a row. Um, and uh, although he did a fantastic job at Rangers, he stopped Celtic winning the 10th league, which would have been a record for them, which would have meant bragging rights in the city. What does bragging rights mean, Tom? If you brag, you like to, uh, I'll give you another verb, to boast, which really means you like to say very good things about yourself or your team, often with the intention of annoying another person. Exactly. So if Real Madrid play Barcelona and Real Madrid win, well, the Real Madrid fans will have the bragging rights over Barcelona. It means they can laugh at them, they can joke at the Barcelona fans' expense. So um, 
I think uh, stopping Celtic win that league and giving the Celtic fans the bragging rights for the record leagues uh, in Scotland would have been a big loss. So I think a lot of Rangers fans will have happy memories of of, um, of Steven Gerrard. But from his point of view, I think this is a big step in the, in a, in a in a good direction. The Premier League is the toughest league in the world. He's coming into a good side in Aston Villa. They've spent a lot of money this summer. They've got um, an ambitious owner who wants to see Europe. Uh, who wants to see Villa back at the top of European football. Let's not forget Aston Villa ha- uh, have a Champions League mm-hmm. in the 1980s. You might remember that, Tom. <laughs> not quite, but <laughs> almost. I was born then. <laughs> um, but um, So I think it's exciting. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how Steven Gerrard works in the Premier League because, let's face it, everyone thinks he's going to be the next Liverpool manager. So if he can do a good job at Aston Villa, then I think when Jurgen Klopp calls it a day, and when I say calls it a Today, I mean, decides to finish at Liverpool. I think he would be the perfect successor. Mm. So it's an exciting time. Yes, I'd agree with that. One day, I I would bet a lot of money that Steven Gerrard will be the Liverpool manager one day. However, right now, at this particular moment, I'm not sure if he's ready yet. We won't know until we see how he goes at Aston Villa. But playing football in Scotland, you know, managing... Rangers, where there's really only realistically two teams that can win the league, is a world apart from the English Premier League, where Aston Villa are a medium-sized club. They're they're not particularly, they're certainly not one of the top six at the moment. So another thing with a player like Gerard, a manager like Gerard, he was a fantastic player. He had a very strong mentality. Sometimes it can be hard to transmit that winning mentality to your players. Often, the sorry, when you are a manager, not the best players become the best managers, if that makes sense. Yeah, not always. Sometimes the players that have had to, to suffer uh, and therefore think about their own game more mm-hmm. uh, make better managers. Uh, when, I, when I think about that, I think of Unai Emery. Unai Emery always said that the reason he's a good manager was because he found football difficult. Mm-hmm. So he had to analyse the game. He had to mm-hmm. think about the game. It wasn't something that came naturally to him, like a Gerrard mm-hmm. or, or any of these top-level players. So it'd be interesting. But uh, related to that, Tom, do you think Steven Gerrard deserves the job? I mean, he's had a couple of years in, Cel- in Rangers, which is a lower-level league. Mm-hmm. Um, and realistically, I think he's getting this job off the back of his reputation as a player. Now, what do I mean when I say off the back of his reputation? Off the back of something means that uh, it's coming as a result of another thing. Yes. Yeah, so I don't know if he's getting this job off the back of his experience as a manager or off the mm-hmm. back of his experience as a player. Mm-hmm. I can think easily think of maybe five or six other unemployed managers who I think have more managerial experience. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'd agree with that. I, my, my feeling is that it may be a little bit too early for him, this job, such a big club. I think a, a more logical transition would be to go from Rangers to the Championship, which is the Division 2 of English football. However, the Rangers fans would absolutely hate that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you'll have many friends in Scotland today, Tom. Let's hope we haven't got too many Scottish listeners. Um, but my last question on Aston Villa and Steven Gerrard, they're on 10 points, two points above relegation. I think everybody would agree that their players are probably a mid-table side. Where do you think they can finish this season? 
If Gerard gives them the new manager bounce, which we've discussed in previous shows, meaning he creates an energy and gets the team to lift, which often happens when players in the squad who have not been starting under the previous manager suddenly feel like they have something to prove. Uh, if he can galvanise the squad and get them playing better, then Aston Villa can conceivably finish mid-table, but I wouldn't. I don't think with the players they've got that they will go much beyond that this year. Yes, I think uh, another problem, of course, in Aston Villa is they did lose Jack Grealish, and that's a big hole to fill. OK, Tom, that's brilliant. Let's move on and talk about the main topic for the day, which is uh, the topic of COVID, vaccinations in football. And I think the, the person, the, the reason we've been talking about that, uh, that issue this week, Tom, is uh, Joshua Kimmich, the Bayern Munich player who has come out and said that he's not vaccinated, uh, he's not convinced by the vaccination, he's not sure about the long-term effects. Now, the long-term effects are not the effect now, but they're the effects that they're going to be in the future, uh, a long time in the future, the long-term effects. Um, he said that he's open to potentially getting a vaccine in the future, uh, but, he <clears throat> but he wants more information. And he's received a lot of criticism. Um, some people think that it's unfair that uh, he wants to live in a society where he benefits from other people uh, getting a vaccine and therefore COVID being more under control. But other people think that he's an individual. Uh, the vaccine isn't a legal obligation, so therefore he has an individual right to choose. Um, I think this is one of those topics, Tom, where nobody's right or wrong. Everybody has the right to an opinion. Uh, you could disagree with me. I could disagree with you. Um, and that's okay. That's the beautiful thing about life is we can disagree and still be friends. Um, yes, agree completely with that comment there. Uh, and also that if anyone's listening and, and thinks that something Tim says or something that I say is the gospel truth, please don't. We're just two men, two normal people with our own opinions on the subject. We're not giving any medical advice. We're not making any recommendations. Uh, we just are, like everyone else, trying to uh, figure out what's going on with the information we've got available. And figuring out how COVID affects our area of expertise, which is football. Mm -hmm. um, so let me throw you some statistics, Tom. Let me throw you some statistics. According to my research, uh, in the Premier League in England, uh, one third of clubs, only one third of clubs, so 33%, have got all of their playing staff with a double dose of the vaccine. And only seven from the 20 clubs have got over 50%. Um, so that's quite low. But then when I look in Italy, uh, Italy, over 90% of players are vaccinated. In German football, 94% of players and club staff are vaccinated in the top two divisions. And Bayern Leverkusen uh, have got 100% vaccination. Uh, amongst their players and staff. Can you think of any reasons why there are differences between the amount of the quantity of players um, vaccinated in different countries? What an excellent question. Uh, I can speculate Go on, uh, then. because I, I suspect that uh, here where we live in Spain, the vaccination rates are similarly high to Italy or to Germany. Uh, I think that some countries culturally, historically, have a greater uh, sense of trust and faith in official messaging, whether it's from government or from the health authorities, 
And that's probably the case that would explain Germany and Italy. Another argument you could say, particularly for Italy and Spain, is that the two countries were hit very hard by the first wave of the coronavirus crisis uh, with higher rates of uh, illness and death. So as a result, there was a, a kind of a stronger psychological impact on the people. That would be my speculation. Okay, no, that's very interesting, and I think you've probably got a point there. I think mm -hmm. another interesting uh, point that could contribute to this difference, and it is a big difference, um, is language. I wonder if the news people are getting information in has a relationship with how they interpret that information. And also, let's face it, in the world there are bad groups putting money and, and effort into pro or anti-vaccination campaigns. And I wonder if more money has been spent in English on maybe fake news, both for, for fake news for the virus or mm -hmm. for the vaccine or against the vaccine. I wonder if the um, more money has been spent in English because English is the world language and therefore more doubt, more hesitancy has been created in the Premier League where the English is the spoken language. Do you think that's possible, Tom? It's possible, but I'm more inclined to believe that there is something in the Anglo-Saxon character that's a little bit, uh, whether we, you know, based on this kind of common law history and that, you know, our rules and our laws should come from the people and for the people, I think that this mentality is more ingrained in the, the, the Anglo culture. And by Anglo, I'm talking about the Americans, the Canadians, the Australians, the New Zealanders as well. Yeah, it's, um, it's a good point you've made there. Uh, maybe it's part of our national DNA. Mm -hmm. um, okay, um, I'm going to bring up a new topic related to this. Um, why, do, why do sports want people vaccinated? And I've been reading that uh, essentially this is divided into two reasons. Firstly, for moral reasons. Um, sports people are seen as role models, and a role model is a, a public person, generally a public person, who is an example for other people to follow. Um, and people are saying that footballers, as role models, should set an example for, for society, especially the young people who watch them. Um, and the model that society wants people to set is, is that uh, vaccines are, are the right thing to do. Um, do you think sports players have a moral obligation to be a role model? Or... Are they just like anybody else? They go to work to do their job and they go home and when they're not working, they're an, a, an individual who doesn't have an obligation to society. Mm -hmm. I think that's the heart of the question here because this can also be applied to alcohol consumption, drug consumption, um, people who have strange sexual partners or whatever. Are footballers role models or are they workers? What do you mm -hmm. think, Tom? Another excellent question. Uh, I do think that any role model has a moral obligation to set a good image. You know, I, I think that goes for footballers just as it goes for anyone working or living in a society. Uh, when it comes to footballers or sports stars in particular, 
I also, personally, I identify with the flawed heroes. I think we've discussed this word before, to have a flaw or to, to be a, flawed. To have what an does imperfection, it mean? to have a, a problem, a, a slight uh, imperfection. Yes, exactly. Yes. So this might refer to someone like uh, the world champion boxing heavyweight, Tyson Fury. Or a Paul Gascoigne in English football. Yes, I think in some ways, uh, this there, there is certainly a place in culture for these people as well, because... They tell an even greater story. They, they tell the story of uh, being hit, of falling down, of failing and coming back. So uh, I prefer this kind of flawed hero uh, and to know all the details, you know, the good and the bad, as opposed to someone who's just showing me a squeaky clean image and then hiding their dirty laundry. By squeaky clean, you mean perfectly clean, right? Yes, you know, someone who's probably got a public relations team and who's got someone checking every tweet that they send out. Uh, this, for me, is inauthentic. I'd rather have someone who is flawed. And, mm -hmm. and also that flawed person might represent the community from which they come more than one of these uh, cut and polished images that we create with these uh, modern sportsmen. And when I say a cut and polished image, I mean a very controlled image that you see with some sports people nowadays, for example, with a Roger Federer. You only see the Roger Federer that he wants you to see. He has a very cut and polished image in the media. Um, uh, that, that's interesting. Are you suggesting that Federer's got a dark and sordid secret? I think most people have dark, <laughs> sordid secrets if you look hard enough. Um, I think another moral issue related to the vaccine is that football needs fans. Football mm. needs fans in stadiums. And when you're in a stadium, within two metres of you, you've got at least five other people. And so... To get fans back into stadiums, to justify to governments that controls were being implemented, that the vaccine or proof of a vaccine or proof of a recent COVID test was a sensible, logical way to allow people to get back into to stadiums and to get the money rolling. And let's face it, that's what it all comes down to, to get the money rolling. Mm -hmm. um, so is it hypocritical? to say to fans that they need, a, they need a vaccine to get into a stadium or they need to have had a test to get into a stadium, but the 22 players running around on the pitch don't have to have completed the same requirements. Is that hypocritical or is that just a consequence of the world we live in and the modern COVID world where we have to make exceptions to, to, allow, the, to allow society to function? Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think it's hypocritical because I believe that the players are subject to much more rigorous testing anyway. I believe in the case of Joshua Kimmich, he said he gets tested about three times a week for COVID. Yeah, he said every two or three days. Okay, yes. So I don't think it's a fair comparison uh, between the fans and the players. Uh, but also the framing of this, that there's some kind of moral responsibility for the players if it means that we can have the fans back. I reject this framing. That I, I, It makes me question, who's morality? You know, my, my feeling, is, is it the morality of society or is it the immorality that's being imposed by a few people of society saying no one's safe until all the stadiums are safe and that means everyone needs to be vaccinated or have proof of a negative test or to have proof of having previously caught it? Uh, 
I my my gut feeling is that stadiums and football clubs are being squeezed. They're being pressured, just like many businesses are being pressured right now, to conform, to comply to these strict measures and testing. Uh, personally, I would prefer it if uh, it came back to individual choice. And that means that if a fan wants to take the risk of attending a crowded stadium, that is up to the fan, depending on their own individual and fam family circumstances. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big believer in individual choice as well. Uh, I do think this situation creates a really difficult um, debate because as, an as a believer in individual choice, it does cre create some problems, but we do need to draw the line uh, between obliging people to be to be vaccinated and tested before they get into stadiums or having a choice. And I think, although there are problems, I think I would go towards individual choice as well. Um, there are other reasons. There are millions of other reasons why sports wants players and fans vaccinated. And in Britain, all those millions of reasons have the Queen's face on them. Uh, money, Tom. Money, money, money. Um, we fan, uh, Football wants fans to be back in stadiums, so they're paying the bills. But football um, also wants players to be vaccinated, so they don't have to cancel events. Now, this isn't or cancel matches. This isn't so much of a problem for team sports, but individual sports, if a player's sick, then, then a quarter-final gets cancelled. Money's lost. TV's money is lost. But also, on a, in a team sport, imagine at the World Cup if, if Messi was to, get, um, was to get COVID because he wasn't vaccinated, then suddenly that World Cup semi-final between Argentina and whoever would be a lot less marketable. There would be a lot less interest internationally because some of the stars wouldn't be playing. So I think maybe sport is using vaccines as a way to um, to protect its product. What do you mm. think about that? Uh, yes, I, I, I agree certainly about the money side of it. But I reject the hypothesis you made, you created there that uh, if uh, what would happen if Messi caught COVID because he wasn't vaccinated? Uh, this is based on a premise, an assumption, which I don't think is supported by science. And the assumption is that Messi is more likely to catch COVID if he's unvaccinated. Uh, I think as we're watching this thing progress and looking at information coming out from different countries, uh, what we're discovering is that the, the vaccines have not been as efficacious, or oh, there's a complicated scientific. Effective, let's Effect, say. Yes, as were originally uh, anticipated from the results when they came out. And I think there is growing evidence to suggest that whether you are unvaccinated or vaccinated, you are likely, uh, you are equally likely to catch and transmit the disease again. I, I think there is there is uh, new science coming out um, that does lean to say, that supports what you're saying, but I think there is an amount the amount of virus inside you is still uh, less if you've been vaccinated, so therefore you're less likely to pass it on. But I think this is science that isn't uh, definitively true or false, mm. so I think it'd be hard to draw a strong conclusion. Um, but I think there are financial reasons, definitely. Um, Related to uh, finances, imagine the, the World Cup was tomorrow. Um, a lot of players who are unvaccinated would have to go to Qatar and quarantine, stay in their hotel room for one week. Now, the World Cup is next year, is this time next year, but because of the footballing calendar, 
there isn't a long time before the World Cup after the, the break in the leagues. So some of these players, if they weren't vaccinated, would have to go to Qatar, sit in a hotel room for a week, miss the pre-World Cup friendlies, and then automatically jump straight in, because I think there's only a 10-day period between the finishing of the leagues and the start of the World Cup. So this isn't a moral question. This is a logistical question. Mm -hmm. If you were a top-level football player, would you be worried about missing matches, not only for the World Cup, but imagine if you're a South American football player and you're, uh, you're every two or three months when there are international matches like there are this weekend. Uh, and, for example, some countries in South America are on red lists for European countries. Uh, these, these players are potentially being encouraged not to join up with their national teams or um, the, the governments of European countries are being encouraged to make exceptions for sports people. Mm -hmm. um, if you were a top-level sports person who was unvaccinated, uh, not, uh, would you be worried about missing uh, football because of your vaccination choices? Yes, I think in the, the build-up to the World Cup, it would be a, a fear for the unvaccinated player Oh, I'm missing the training sessions. I'm missing the the tactical, uh, you know, discussions and and practices. Is the coach going to pick me? And this, of course, would also be a, a dilemma for the coach and the coaching team. Uh, can I bring this player straight into the squad uh, when he's not had this time to acclimatize to uh, whether it's the the climactic conditions in Qatar or to train with the team? So certainly, there is a disadvantage for both the player, the coach and the rest of the squad uh, by having players who are unvaccinated uh, having to go into quarantine during the build-up. By build-up I mean the, the, the pre-tournament stage. Having said that, I would still defend the player's right to not get vaccinated uh, and put that decision on the coach. I think the coach is free to exclude the player from the squad or include the player in the squad. And that would be one of the many considerations the coach has to make. But one of the considerations, of course, would be that that player had had no training in the seven days before the first match of the tournament. Mm -hmm. So it would be a difficult decision. I get what you're mm -hmm. saying, though. Um, let's let's move on um, and let's talk about... Um, I've been doing some reading with some uh, club doctors and some club managers and the coaching staff. Um, and um, I've, I've, I've discovered some interesting things. Um, going back to the resistance to the vaccine in English football, um, I was reading this interview with a club doctor who was saying that uh, a lot of the players were worried about fertility problems. And this is one of the, um, the conspiracies which has been spread about the vaccine, that it stops you having babies, that it makes you less of a man. Um, and uh, other issues were that uh, this was a form of uh, Bill Gates trying to control us. Um, and that essentially the pandemic wasn't real, that uh, it didn't exist, that it was just another form of flu, that, um, that really all this was a creation, a media creation. And this club doctor said um, that he had an interesting perspective on where this information was coming this, from. This is a... a English football club doctor. An English football club doctor, mm -hmm. paid, for, paid by the club. Mm -hmm. um, he was saying that footballers are being targeted by conspiracy organisations, by anti-vaccine organisations. They're being targeted because of their influence in society. 
um, and targeted because generally, on the whole, footballers are uneducated compared to other groups of society. So this club doctor was saying, if I'm an anti-vax organisation, if I can target young footballers with false information and get them to believe my lies, because of their position in society, those they, they will do my marketing for me. And I thought this was a very interesting perspective. Um, I hope it's not true that uh, there are organisations in the world that target uh, parts of society for that reason. But if it is, then it's quite a scary prospect. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, I've got two main thoughts with regards to that comment. Uh, the first one, I want to clarify this word, anti-vax, because... Uh, there seems to be some confusion over the meaning these days. And uh, let me ask you, Tim, uh, you've, I, I know already that you are broadly pro-vaccine. Would you agree that Joshua Kimmich, the football player, should have the vaccine mandated, that there should be coercion? No, definitely not. And mm. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't consider Joshua Kimmich anti-vax either, mm. because he's open to getting the vaccination. He feels he needs more information. Well, interestingly enough, according to the American Merriam-Webster Dictionary, the latest definition of anti-vaxxer, your position makes you an anti-vaxxer. You are anti-vaxxer if you oppose government-mandating vaccines, according to the latest definition, which also means that I'm an anti-vaxxer, and I suspect that most people on the planet are also anti-vaxxers. So I, I don't raise that to, uh, you know, be facetious. What, what do I mean by facetious? To create a problem for the sake of, for, for just because you want to create a problem. Exactly, yes, yes. It's more just to, to raise this issue that the language that we are using now to talk about these topics has been blurred. I could make the same pop, uh, point about the word vaccine, but uh, uh, I just want to articulate that sometimes when we talk about anti-vaxxers, we're talking about different things, especially the journalists who accuse players like Kimmich of it in the newspapers. But um, going back to this, uh, mm. I, I get what you're saying, mm. but um, going back to this, this false information, and mm. do you think footballers are exploitable because of their lack of education and because of the platform they have and the amount of influence they have over their, over yeah. their, over their fans? Yeah. No, thank you. I'm glad you, you brought me back because that was the main point of the question. And my answer is definitively no, I do not. I don't believe that football players are any more vulnerable or exploitable to misinformation than any normal member of the public. I see this argument has been very popular over the last five years. I saw it a lot when we had a, the, the Brexit vote, or even when Donald Trump was elected in America. The one side of the, the argument was to say that the people who voted for Brexit or the people who voted for Trump, bless them, they're stupid, they're ignorant, they don't know any better, they're uneducated. I disagree with this argument. I think it's easy to make this argument when you hear Wayne Rooney talk or David Beckham talk, because it's true that they are not educated in a classical sense. They certainly don't know all their verbs, nouns and adjectives and put them in correct order. No, they could definitely listen to the (laughs) left pod and learn a bit, couldn't they? That's right. However, I think that these players are actually highly intelligent. uh, I think anyone who can reach 
mastery of whatever career they choose has a level of intelligence uh, that we should respect. So I, I disagree. I, I refute that the football players are any more exploitable than other but people. But I, I think um, there's very few sectors of society with the, with the reach that footballers have. And when I say the reach, I mean the influence, the amount of people they can talk to who, I mean, I, I think they're probably unique. Sportsmen are probably unique, uh, definitely footballers, that I would say 99% of footballers, maybe higher, left school at the earliest possible opportunity. Mm. Um, I think a lot of these footballers have it in their head when, they're, when they start entering into clubs at the age of 10, 11, 12. Mm. You know the expression, Tom, a big-time Charlie. <laughs> uh, someone who thinks they're a professional footballer before they're a professional footballer. Um, and I think a lot of these footballers do become big-time Charlies at 11, 10, 12 years old. Mm. And as a consequence of this mentality, they stop paying any attention in school. They stop seeing the value value of education. Now, obviously, I'm making a sweeping statement. A sweeping mm -hmm. statement is a massive generalization. But within the sweeping statement, if a high percentage of what I'm saying is true, then I do think footballers open themselves up as a specifically vulnerable area of influences in society mm -hmm. that if you did want to push uh, an opinion which was against the the status quo in the media, I do think they would be um, a, a legitimate target and a target that would give you um, a benefit. Um, so I'd like to, to comment on that. In, in defence of your argument, uh, there was a famous book that came out called The Secret Footballer a few years ago, allegedly written by, I think, Dave Kitson, the ex-Reading uh, centre-forward. And... He certainly concluded that many, many footballers are very stupid, particularly when it comes to spending their money. Uh, but I would like to counter that and say an argument in defence of these footballers. Uh, you, this, this argument is based on the idea that they don't understand the science, that they're, they're ignoring a lot of information. However, these are men who are professional athletes who are very, very much in tune with their body and with what will enhance their performance and what will decrease their performance. And this comes from the moment they woke up. It's the 98% the of the time they're not playing football. They're also very, very aware of their health. So to assume that they've all got, uh, you know, nonsense news, conspiracy news, I don't think that's accurate. I think that probably most footballers actually have a much better understanding of health and body and diet and nutrition and maybe even immunity than many of us normal people. Quite, quite possibly. But as I said to you before, I, I was doing a bit of reading around and I, I read uh, Rudy Vula, who of course has a great haircut. Well, he did back in the day, anyway. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, he was saying that he was at Bay he's at Bayern Leverkusen, of course. And he was saying that uh, at first, when they presented the idea of vaccinations to their playing staff and their coaching staff, there was resistance. There were questions. Mm -hmm. There weren't. Pe there were people who who wanted more information. And uh, they invested in, in, in an education program. Not, I wouldn't say invested. They created an education program. They tried to uh, make, make, make the players aware of the data that was out there. And uh, he said that he saw a change, that um, once those players had received the, the, the good information that was out there, received essentially the information that, that a lot of people read in newspapers or see on the news, 
um, mm. that they were happy to get vaccinated. And Bayern Leverkusen now is one of the clubs in, in the Bundesliga that have 100% vaccination amongst their playing staff and their coaching staff. Um, and back to your players taking care of their bodies and being finely tuned athletes. I 100% agree with you there. But these are people who listen to coaches. They listen to nutritionists. I mean, you look at the, the team around a, a top-level professional like an Ibrahimovic or an Aldo. He's got, he's got a private physio. He's got a private doctor. He's got a private nutritionist. He's got a private chef. So essentially, they're willing to listen to experts mm-hmm. on all sorts of uh, areas related to personal health. But then when the club doctor says to them, you should get vaccinated, suddenly, on the, on, on the aspect of health related to COVID, there are questions. Now, well, I, I, I'm, I, I'm, I think that there's something a little bit strange going on mm-hmm. there. That this, of course, rests on the assumption that the club doctors are all saying you should get tested for COVID. Uh, I'm not entirely sure if it's as clear-cut as that. I can't speak for risk-reward, benefit-versus-risk ratio of professional footballers, but I can speak for myself. And uh, I've, if you go on to Oxford University, there is a, a calculator where you can determine your own risk of being hospitalised or dying from COVID. I know my risk as a 42-year-old male, uh, assuming it hasn't changed since the variants and there's not been any up- update on the website, I have a 1 in 4,000 chance of being hospitalised and a 1 in 62,500 chance of dying of COVID, according to Oxford University's calculator. So when you take a player like Joshua Kimmich, who says... I'm hesitant because I don't know what the long-term risks are. For me, this seems to be a logical statement. Yeah, I can see 100% what you're saying. And this is why we're 37 minutes into the podcast and we're nowhere near a conclusion. Um, Because I I 100% accept what you've got to say there. But at the same time, I look at N'Golo Kante. Who, who lives with his family. He's got elderly members of the family who, who share a house with him. And he, they are at risk. They've got health problems that make them very susceptible to hospitalisation or death from COVID, God forbid. Mm-hmm. So, and, and Kante has come out and said that he doesn't feel comfortable sharing a pitch or sharing a changing room with, with players who have chosen not to get vaccinated. So I can understand fully the perspective of, uh, of Joshua Kimmich, but I'm sure you can understand what Angole Kante is feeling. I, it raises questions for me. I'm wondering, my, my first thought is, can N'Golo Kante's family get vaccinated to protect themselves and take the pressure off him? And for that one, I don't know the answer. If the answer is no, if there's someone in his family who, uh, for example, is allergic to vaccinations or for whatever reason can't take the vaccine, then yes, absolutely, I could sympathise with N'Golo Kante's position and his fear about bringing the virus home to his family. Yeah, I, I think it's one of those situations. I mean, there, there isn't a right answer, really, is there? Mm-hmm. Um, we're in a difficult situation and mm-hmm. football has to face this new world that we're living in and try and continue pr- uh, giving us all the football we love. Um, and... And, and I suppose individuals, individual clubs, individual players, individual managers will have to make their own decisions. I, I think information is key. 
I, 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 I think both of us, Tom, have, have essentially we agree that information is the most important thing. And the problem we've got is a lot of people don't trust the information they're getting. And they certainly don't trust the information other people have got. No. Everyone seems to trust their own newspaper. Everyone trusts their own website. Everyone mm-hmm. trusts their own TV channel, but I, but not other people's ones. So I think maybe uh, the problem here is objective data. I agree completely. I think to I'm sure that many of our listeners are having this trouble. They've got one opinion. Their family's got another opinion. It's probably led to fights and arguments. Maybe even breakups of friendships and uh, it's so hard to navigate this territory I think the first thing we all have to do is try to find that common ground what can we agree on what facts can we accept and to try and have the discussion in uh, a way where to understand the other person we try and steal man their argument. Now, by steal man, this is a technique that's often used in trying to make sense, where you try and uh, understand your uh, opponent or the, the opposite position by building the strongest case possible for it. Uh, the opposite of a steel man is a straw man, where you deliberately misframe or mischaracterize your opponent's position in order to knock it down. But we need to be better than that and try and find a way to truly understand the other position because the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle yes definitely um and um when when this is uh, framed as a pro or an anti-covid or anti-vaccine debate then i think um then then they'll always everyone's going everyone's a loser everyone's mm-hmm. a loser because both sides have such an amount of people logical people intelligent people who support their cause that both sides can't be totally wrong. If both sides were totally wrong, then one of these strong groups of opinions would already have been eliminated from society. I couldn't agree more on that point. I feel one thing that uh, we've received a lot through our media sources is this false dilemma, this false dichotomy, where they give us a very complex issue, such as immunity or the vaccines, and they break it down into a simple this or that choice. Uh, it's redacting complexity to this or that. And a lot of people will accept it because it's easy to just choose a side and not have to think about it. But I think we should be very conscious of when we are given a false dilemma, uh, because often it's not real. So there are more than two options and we should find our third option individually. Absolutely. Well, so I think um, that has covered COVID, Tom. Um If you weren't sick from COVID before, you probably are now. Um, (laughs) But uh, that's been a fantastic debate. And uh, next week on LeftPod, we've got another interesting debate. We're going to talk about uh, homosexuality in football. There's been some big news in the last couple of weeks with an A-League player, professional A-League player, uh, coming out as as gay. What does that mean, coming out? To come out is to announce publicly... Yeah, come out the closet. Come out of the closet, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think it's a big moment for for football, for professional football, and it's definitely a topic that we want to cover on Left Pod. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's all we've got time for today, Tom. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure as always. Could you tell our listeners uh, where they can hear us and how they can interact with us, please? Of course, you can find us in our Facebook group. English learners who love football. Come and join the group. Come and join the conversation. 
You can also find our podcast on all the main providers such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. And please also remember, if you like what you hear, if you want to support us, give us a little rating, preferably number five, five stars. And even better, write a little comment for us. If we like your comment, we'll read it out on the next episode. We certainly will. Uh, It's been an absolute pleasure, Tom, as always. We'll see you next week for another episode of Left Pod. Thanks, Tim. Enjoy the international football, guys. Bye-bye.